So you guys uh, sit down. Let me, uh, let me pray for us real quick as, uh, as we get started. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We're grateful for this passage. Um, we're grateful for your word. It guides us. It directs us. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It uh, pull, uh, pierces um, bone and marrow. It separates. It's a discerner of our innermost thoughts. It uh, continues to encourage us towards righteousness. It convicts us. It rebukes us. It continues to guide us. It's a light into our path. It gives us boundaries for the young man to guard his ways. God, keep it close to our hearts so that we would not sin against you. Give us a longing for it. May we continue to draw near to it. Thank you so much for all that you've done, all that you continue to do. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you were to pick up the Bible, um, you would notice something very quickly about the Bible, that God is very, very much about God. He wholeheartedly is about not just his name being known, but everyone recognizing who he is. And for a second, that may sound egotistical. That might sound conceited, but it's absolutely not. See, here, here, here's the thing. If, if you were to, to, to continue to roll through the Bible and read story after story, God is pinning people into these corners to recognize he's the one who does it all. So I'm um, walking down a mountain the other night um, uh, with some friends, I'm talking to Tony, a, a guy who goes here to, to Redemption Peoria, and we're talking about the story of Gideon. And if you don't know the story of Gideon, Gideon is a man who um, uh, is basically called on by God to fight for God. And he's to fight these Midianites, and he has 32,000 soldiers to fight these Midianites. 32,000. And God looks at him, and he says, Gideon, here's the deal. You have too many men to fight the Midianites. Now, if you don't know much about war, usually having too many men is not the issue. And he looks at Gideon, and I quote, you have too many men for me to give the Midianites into your hand. And so he quickly removes of those 32,000 people, 22,000. Now they're left with 10,000. And God looks at them, and he says, that's still too many. When you defeat the Midianites, you're going to think you defeated the Midianites. But that's not what I'm trying to show you here. So he takes that 10,000 and he brings them to 300 men. 300 soldiers. And they win. And they win. I mean, this is over and over in the scripture. The very ethos of when we use the term David versus Goliath. David has no rights. He, he should not be winning that battle. But because of God, God is big. God is awesome. David is not awesome. Gideon is not awesome. He tells one, at one point Joshua, the dude who conquers so many people in the Bible. Like, read the book of Joshua. It's like, and Joshua killed them by the sword. And Joshua killed them with clubs. And jo-, it's like, good Lord, what's wrong with Joshua? And so Joshua stands before the city called Jericho. And instead of running up to this city, knocking the walls down, God says, that's not what I want you to do because God is about God. God gets the glory. And so randomly, he tells them to walk around this city for seven days. And on the seventh day, he has them shout. And out of nowhere, the walls fall down flat because God has given them the city. Now you look at that story and you go, it wasn't them. All they did was yell. God gave the city to them. This was about God. Now, these are physical battles. These are, this is over and over. You find God using imperfect people, God using imperfect groups, God using imperfect nations to show his perfection, to show how 
awesome he is. Now, the reason this is a big deal, because those are physical battles. Those are battles that we can, we can see, but there's an overarching tone to the whole Bible that God is doing the same thing. That as Satan finds himself, he interjects himself into God's kingdom and he causes this ruckus in Genesis 3 and there's this fall. God, in all of his beauty, God, in all of his poetry, and all of his awesomeness, does not send some mighty warrior from 300. He doesn't send some political um, awesome speaker. He doesn't send this man who's just directing people. He doesn't do that. Matter of fact, he sends him, this, this savior, this guy who's going to save these people to a place that's 120th the size of California. You can literally fit Israel inside of New Hampshire. And inside of Israel, even a smaller city, even people in Israel, Bethlehem, and he sends this Jesus, not into a palace, not into the president's cabinet. No, no, no. He sends Jesus into a barn. And in sending Jesus out of nowhere, he says, see, 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 you, you don't get it. This is not about men being awesome. I'm going to show you how powerful I am. And I'm going to come out of, I started from the bottom, but, but now I'm here, right? Okay. No. Everyone who's over 40 had no idea what's going on right now. Um, now, now, now here, here's the truth about, about this whole thing. Because Jesus is awesome, Jesus doesn't come with some, again, political agenda. He doesn't come with this or that. People kind of don't get what Jesus is about, and, and they don't understand. They're expecting Jesus to be this big, awesome thing, but God is trying to say, God is about God. He uses weak things to accomplish big things. He uses things that are, at, at their core, undeserving to show that God is deserving. And so here, here's what's awesome. As Jesus comes onto the scene, he, he continues to grow in wisdom and stature, and eventually he steps up and he makes this declaration in Mark that he's going to bring this kingdom. Now, if this is your first time, um, we've been going through the book of Mark. We started church about nine weeks ago on Sundays, and we said, hey, if we're going to start church, we're going to say we're going to be about Jesus, let's figure out who Jesus is. And there's no better book in the Bible than uh, Mark, or the gospel specifically, I guess, but Mark um, is what we chose to go through, because Mark has this crazy way of talking about Jesus when no one else knows who Jesus is. So as Jesus is going around, people are like, who is this dude? Nobody knows who Jesus is, and he's casting out demons. Now, here's what's crazy. The demons know who he is. You're the son of God. Mark tells us as the readers who Jesus is, but nobody else knows who Jesus is. And so they're like, what, what is this dude all about? And he steps on the scene, and he says, I'm about this kingdom. Because the time's fulfilled, the hours now, the kingdom of God has come. And over and over since that point in chapter 1, God has been showing us what this kingdom looks like. And maybe for you that sounds weird, right? Like, what is the kingdom of God? Well, 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 he's showing us what this kingdom of God looks like, right? Because in God's kingdom, wherever Jesus goes, the kingdom is, is planted. And so there's no demons in his kingdom. There's no sickness in his kingdom. There's no disease in his kingdom. And yet we feel the weight of this. Even as Christians, we feel the weight of sickness. We feel the weight of disease. But at the same time, right, there's this hope that Jesus gives us that one day there will be no sickness, that one day there will be no diseases. And so in all, in all of this, Jesus is, is bringing about this kingdom. He's, he's, he's growing this thing, and, and it's out of nowhere, and it's not expected, and people don't understand what's going on. And then we get to our passage. So now we're in Mark chapter 3, verse 7. 
Um, as Jesus has continued to establish this kingdom, he's shown us not just diseases and not just um, sickness and not just demons are not welcome there, but there's something more, right? And this is what we talked about last week. He's also said, hey, the idea of legalism, the idea of you getting it right, the idea of you being self-righteous, the idea of you attending church 52 weeks a year, not watching certain movies, yeah, I'll say it again, not watching certain movies, not listening to certain music, that doesn't make you awesome. God has given you laws, he's given you rules because he loves you, not for you to beat your chest about how cool you are because you follow them. You submit to the God who loves you because he loves you and he's given you these things. And we walk through that. And because this is how God's kingdom, it is a kingdom. And it's cheesy as tree huggers this sound. It is a kingdom of love. Right? I hope so. So, so in, in being this kingdom of love, it's just the only way to serve God rightly is to love him rightly. To follow him rightly is to love him rightly. And so... Now, Jesus removes himself from kind of um, meleeing the Pharisees um, with, with the, the, the solid truth, right? He, he, he uh, walks away from them, and he goes on with his disciples. And this is what it says. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judah uh, and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan, from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases and pressed around him to touch him. And and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So here's what we know. This kingdom is definitely growing. People are coming from all over Israel, from these places that maybe we've never heard of, and they're hearing about this Jesus, and they're coming to him for one reason, and, and really one reason only, because he heals the sick. He does these things, and so it, it's, we're told in this moment that as all the sick and all the people filled with the diseases, right, like Peter with, well, not the disciple, we'll call him Bill. Bill with the rash is like rubbing up against Jesus. He's like, hey, cool, like, okay, so he wants kind of some room here, right? Like, um, and so he asks his disciples to get a boat and put it on on the sea because ain't nobody going to be stepping in the water so he kind of creates some space right because the dude with leprosy needs to stay about 10 feet back and so um well never okay anyway so um so he has these people on the shore and jesus begins to teach them now here's what's awesome about this um here's what we can recognize uh, first of all this feels very much like a review Like if you've been coming through Mark, we already know this. We already know that people are coming to Jesus. We already know that he's he's cast out demons. We already know that when the demons are cast out, they say, you're the son of God. Why are you here? And Jesus again tells them, don't say anything. These are things that we know. It seems to be a review. And what we can grab from this is, is really awesome because we recognize again from the beginning of one that this kingdom, though it's in a small place, is starting to gain traction. Like, for for a minute here, it actually feels like, though this boy from Nazareth who grows up and should not be the Messiah, because nothing good can come from that place, suddenly starts to gain traction. People in Mesa are starting to hear about what's going on there. People in Scottsdale are starting to hear about what's going on there. And they're starting to come, who's this Jesus dude? I have my brother, he has cerebral palsy, and he needs to be healed. And they're hearing about this guy, and they're gathering, and this kingdom is gaining traction. And you're like, yes, this is it. This is, this is how it goes. And God does what God always does, which is not what we would do. It seems so foolish what he does in this moment. He, he draws himself away 
and he grabs, of all the people there, these 12 disciples. And he pulls these 12 disciples away, and he basically says, here's the keys to the kingdom. It's yours. Okay, now here's where, where I, I want to sit for as long as we can, because um, for a minute it feels like it's gaining traction, and, and then God does something in, in, in all of his beauty to remind us that it is about God. Um, he, he doesn't go on some conference circuit. Like Jesus doesn't write a book real quick. Well, technically, just not physically right there. Like he, he's, 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 not, um, he's not like writing all these things and he's not, uh, he's not getting like 10,000 people together and doing this conference. No, he, he spends all of his time with 12 dudes. He spends all of his time with these 12 men who um, for the rest of history will be painted on walls. Symbols will be made about them. Cathedrals will be named after them. Churches will bear their name over and over, these 12 men. And yet we find something quite strange about these 12 men. And and let's read what happens here. This is in Mark um, chapter 3, verse 13 still. This is what it says. And he went up to the mountain and called to those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he pointed 12, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, and then he names these 12. So here's, here's what I want to say very, very um, quickly about these 12. Here's what we already know about some of these 12. Um, some of these 12 were not the men that you want to take the greatest kingdom in all of the earth. The fact that two weeks ago, two and a half billion people crammed themselves into buildings to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, half of them were at Cardinal Stadium, right? Okay, so you, you have... Over and over and over, these, these Easter services, these Christ, Christmas services for people to get together to celebrate this Jesus that grew from this small little mustard seed in Israel. You gave that weight so that one day Christianity will be the largest religion in all of the world to 12 nobodies, to fishermen, to sinners, to tax collectors, to political zealots, to nobodies. Nobody would have known their name otherwise if they would have not spent time with Jesus, if they would have not met with Jesus, if they would not heard Jesus, if they would not seen Jesus. Nobody knows who Peter is. These guys are nobodies. And, and Jesus pulls them aside. He pulls these 12 aside, whom he desires, and he spends time with them, and he sends them out with authority to preach, to cast out demons. But I don't want to get lost in in what they're doing just yet, because I want you to see, lest some of us miss, who these men are. Um, There's a a book called 12 Ordinary Men by a guy named John MacArthur. If you don't know who John MacArthur is, um, well, his name is John MacArthur. Um, um, And maybe you like him, maybe you don't. If you don't know who he is, but I think in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, he has a great quote describing these 12 disciples. This is what he says. The disciples are not otherworldly. They are not nearly divine. They are not the cream of the crop among men. They are not the highest and the noblest and the best. They're not the most educated, the most highly skilled, the most gifted. The truth is they basically are distinguished by one thing. That is that they are ordinary. No reason for them to come together, live together, work together, and minister together apart from the purposes of God. They are perfectly ordinary men in every way. Not one of them is renowned for scholarship. None of them had a track record as an orator or some kind of theologian. They were outsiders from the religious establishment of Jesus' day. In truth, they were prone to mistakes and misjudgments, misunderstandings, bad attitudes, lapses of faith, bitter faith, and argumentativeness. 
At one point, he says he calls his disciples slow at hearts. At one point, he actually looks at one of his disciples and says he's Satan. So he looks at these guys, very ordinary, not special, and says, one day, the kingdom of God, as Acts 2 and Ephesians 2, will be, be built on the foundation of the apostles. One day, this church will grow based on what you do. And they are ordinary men. They are not special. They didn't have wings or claws. They were not X-Men. They were ordinary. They were ordinary. And Jesus says, let me show you how awesome I am. Let me show you how BA my kingdom is. Let me show you how legit I'm coming from. Let me, let me, let me just lay out for a second so you can see that this kingdom is going to grow and it's not based on these 12 disciples. It's based on me. This is Jesus, man. At the core of reading the story of these 12 disciples, it is Jesus. You want to know why? Because the Bible has always been about God. Because God is about God. Think of every hero of your faith. I made a list just in case you forgot. So everyone we know, we read about in the Bible, we have this nostalgic view of who they are. And yet we forget, and hear me when I say this, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old, Jacob was a liar, Leah was ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah and Timothy were both too young, David was an adulterer and a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied Christ, Martha worried about everything, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Lazarus was too dead, over and over and over and over again, these guys were not awesome. It is the God of the Bible who made, like, their stories renowned. You you hear about them, and you will continue to hear about them, not because Abraham was awesome. I mean, there's one point, I was just reading this with some guys. He walks into a city, Abraham, the father of, of the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith, and the Christian faith. He walks into a city, and he's afraid for himself, self-preservation. So he says, hey, Sarah, his wife, let's just say we're brother and sister. That way they don't kill me to get you. Are you kidding me? This, this, this is the foundation. This is where we base our faith from. Some guy who gave his wife away, these guys are not awesome. And now Jesus builds his church on 12 ordinary men. This is good news to us. This is very good news for us. Because um, in all of God's sovereignty, in all of his beauty, um, there's something that, that kind of uh, confronts us, that he could have absolutely, and he would have absolutely built his kingdom, but it hinges on these 12 men. Like, it's crazy, right? Like, like these 12 men don't step up to the plate. Like, what happens? Now, again, he's sovereign. He's controlling all things, but, 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 but somehow it's weird, right? Like, I'm going to give all that I plan to do through these, these 12 men. It's this weird kind of dynamic in God's ultimate control, and yet him giving these men this, this responsibility. Um, and, and, it, and it is good news for us because it reminds us that it's not the men that he's trusting in. <laughs> like, it's not the men that he's trusting in. It's his name that he's trusting in. It's who he is that he's trusting in. Jesus hands the keys over to these men because Jesus knows how awesome Jesus is. Now, um, I want to uh, I, I, I kind of put this in front of us the best I can to... Um, 
to, to read something to you, and I, th- I think it will help, because in the midst of understanding this, um, the Bible continues to remind us of this, um, and I want to read a passage. If, if you can, you can turn there if you want. It's in 1 Corinthians 1. Um, you don't have to, but um, I hope this continues to remind us of where we want to um, begin to, to wrap up, and this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly. Gosh, so good. Through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe for Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to both the Jews and folly to the Greeks. So, so here's, here's what he says. And this is beautiful. Paul says, listen, um, you, you can try to analyze and you can try to strategically break down what's taking place about some dude 2,000 years ago dying on a cross and hundreds of of thousands of people to follow him to do this. His own 12 disciples being crucified upside down, his being filleted alive, being burned alive, believed what this Jesus was about. And you could try to analyze it, you could try to use all of your smarts and all of your knowledge and all of your wisdom, but in the end, the message of the cross is going to seem like foolishness to you. It's going to seem like it doesn't make sense to you because the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. And so, so Paul, looking backwards, says that, 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 that the, the Jews, they, they want to see it. Show me a sign, bro. Show me a sign and I'll believe. And the Greeks want to process this thing through wisdom, right? But, Jesus, but, but God says, no, neither. And, and then he goes on to say this, which is very helpful. But to those who are called, and now he's talking to any Christian in the room, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ's, uh, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification or redemption. So that is it written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul makes this declaration. It wasn't you. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Isaac. It wasn't power. In Genesis, you can try to build a tower to heaven. You can try to make your name great, but God will destroy it. People will forget. And you know whose name they're going to remember when all time has ceased? When the timeline is done? Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to this man who was born in a manger. Do do you understand? This is good news for us because you have failings. Because you are broken. Because you are not awesome. Because in your heart of hearts, you know what you're going to watch after church today. 
Because in your heart of hearts, you know what you want to do. You know what you want to say. You know what you're thinking. The anger, the greed, the pride, the sexual morality, you know what is there. And God says, well, it's a good thing that my kingdom is not based on you. It's based on me. This is good news to us. What's what's beautiful in all of this is Jesus has three years on this earth. Three years. And he spends time with these 12 disciples. And you know what's crazy? He pours himself and pours himself and pours himself into all of these men. And one of them who he pours himself into and pours himself into, he knows is going to betray him. And yet he pours himself and he pours himself into this man. Do what you got to do, Judas. Sell me out. My kingdom's not based on you, bro. It, it will be done. Redemption Peoria is not the kingdom of God. We are not the one who pushes the church forward. This is Jesus' bag. Now, um, this is where, where I'll close. Um, about five minutes from, uh, five minutes from uh, uh, Venice, you can take this little boat ride. I've never obviously done this, but I watched a cool documentary. Um, um, St. Gregory Church, you'll, you'll walk into this church, and it's this huge church, right? And if you've ever seen a 16th century church, I mean, they're awesome, right? I had a chance to go to Romania, um, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And, and while I was there, we got to go visit some churches in um, Transylvania, legitimately. I saw, I saw them. Don't worry, I saw Dracula. Um, <laughs> and so um, we, we go and visit these churches. And it was, it's awesome in St. Gregory's Church there because you walk in, and there's, like, paintings on the wall, and, and it's it's like, like there's, there's uh, on the roof, there's this incredible artwork and uh, there's this huge area for the choir. And then right at the front center, like mathematical precision where everything is, every single corner is pointing to something and, and it's all giving, I mean, it's all designed perfectly and everything is meant to catch your eye to this gigantic golden globe with this man standing on the top of it. And this golden globe is meant to represent the earth. And this man standing on top of it is God the Father. And he has this halo that is a triangle to symbolize the Trinity, right? And so he's standing there. And and what the artist is trying to communicate, that it is God who is ruler over all of the world. It is God who does this. It is God who is king. It is God. And yet, the way God chooses to do this is use ordinary men so let's remove the excuse any christian in here that you're not getting it right right now that's why you can't talk to your neighbor you don't feel like you're close to god and that's why you can't share the gospel let's remove the excuse that you're not awesome let's remove the excuse that you can't because god is the one standing on top of the globe it is god and it is god alone who is king in those moments It is God who saves. It is not based on what you do. God uses foolish. He uses ignorance. He uses the humble because it shows that God is awesome. God uses the foolish. He uses the ignorant. He uses the humble because it shows that uh, um, when God grows his kingdom, it will be about God. But but more than anything, God uses the, the foolish. He uses the ignorant. And he uses the humble saints. Because there are no other kind of saints. Those are the only kind of saints. And if you're a Christian in here, welcome to the club. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. 
we are, uh, we're grateful for all that you've done, all that you continue to do. We are desperately reminded as we read this text that you draw your disciples to you to send them out. And, and that is my prayer. That we, as followers of you, Jesus, we would be near your hearts. We would follow you desperately. We would read your word. We would humble ourselves to you. We would come near you so that you can send us out. That you desire to be around your disciples, as you told us there. To draw us near, to give us authority and power to send us out. And we thank you for the example of how not awesome these disciples are. That Peter has a foot-shaped mouth at times. Men are called over and over, weak, um, and we're grateful for that because we stand here as a congregation who recognizes we do not have it all together, but you desire to use us, and we're so grateful for that. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your power, for your kingdom continuing to be established. It's in your name we pray. Amen.